Welcome on into the Tony Parks podcast. Thanks so much for being with us as we get ready for the NBA playoffs. Never thought we'd say those words in August. Like ever, right? But here we are. And I appreciate everyone's support of the podcast from everyone on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and more. You can always email me, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. We have a lot of fun here, and uh, the NBA playoffs are going to be fun. I love that they're getting started this week. Uh, Excited for what should be a fun matchup with the Jazz and the Nuggets. Uh, I was a guest on uh, The Drive with Spence Checkets on ESPN 700. Huge thanks to them for... Uh, having me on, Porter Larson and company as well do a great job. Uh, but it was a, a, a couple of weeks ago that I actually was asked about Utah and their biggest rival, right? Like, who's their biggest rival? Lakers, Nuggets, Rockets, all of that. Um, it's never been Denver, by the way. It could be, but it never has been. Uh, the proximity is nice. I get it. You know, the mountains and all that good stuff. They've been in the same division um, so I could see how it might come around, and it's possible it could exist in the future. But Denver has rarely lived up to their end of the bargain. And even though, as a Jazz fan out there, you might not like them, they are well down on the list uh, in all your Jazz years, probably, of being one of those teams that you just absolutely hated with a passion. So, it, it in my opinion, they, they don't have some of that history that, that makes it feel like the kind of rivalry you want it to feel like. In my opinion, Houston is Utah's biggest rival. I mean, you go with the playoff history. They've played Houston far more than anybody else. Uh, The way that fan base and the Jazz fan base uh, get after one another, the way former players uh, get after one another, like uh, Vernon Maxwell uh, when he'll take shots at the Jazz. Like, the Jazz might hate the Lakers more, so that might be higher on the list of teams you hate, but I don't get that the feeling of the Laker fan base and the Lakers altogether is the same about the Jazz. I, I don't feel like it has that same reciprocal sort of battle with it, right? So this will be the fourth time, though, that the Jazz and and Nuggets meet up. I'll never forget the 94 version. The Jazz nearly blew a 3-0 series lead. I was scared to death, man. I was uh, 12 years old, maybe. And then the Nuggets tied it at three. They came back. uh, They were the first team since, like, the 51 Knicks or something crazy like that. I think they did it in the finals. Um, And I don't. I wouldn't know off the top of my head if anybody's done it since, but I remember knowing that it had been forever since the team even tied a series. And back then, we all know that in in hockey, it's happened several times. Um, But back then, I mean, it was just thought of as impossible for a team to ever come back from 3-0. It's never happened in the NBA. It's happened once in Major League Baseball, and I know Yankee fans cover your ears when I say that. But it just felt impossible. So the Jazz almost, I mean, they and they didn't get off to a good offensive start in that game against the Nuggets in Game 7 either, but still went on to win. So the Jazz win that series, and then the other one that I like to talk about is in 2010, they go head-to-head, and the Jazz win that series in 6. So a funny moment of lifting the curtain, or just kind of taking you behind the scenes of what that series was like and covering it. Um, when When the Jazz played the Nuggets in the first round of 2010, I was covering the Nuggets locker room during that series. And the feeling about the Jazz going into that series was a very negative one. Utah had a chance uh, to even be the two seed in the final game of the regular year. Um, They were playing the Suns, I think, in the final game of the regular season. They got down big. They lost. Uh, Boozer had an oblique injury, didn't play. So people were just furious um, because the Jazz had a chance to even get the two. And I think if they would have won that night, they would have ended up with the three. I don't recall 
off the top of my head on that, but they, they would have ended up with a three. So instead, they're the five. They don't have home court. They're playing against the Nuggets. Um, and it was eye-opening to see the difference between the way that those two teams operated, though. Because you ended up with the Nuggets not just favored. They go up one game to nothing, and I want to say they handled the Jazz in game one. And then they, you know, O'Kerr goes out with the injury in game one. Oh, a Boozer's still dealing with the oblique. So the Jazz are, I mean, they're, they're battered, they're beaten, uh, they're the underdog, they don't have home court, all of that. The Nuggets are up one game to nothing. But it was crazy. The Jazz were so formal, put together, structured, organized. Jerry had control of that team, no doubt about that. And it was eye-opening to see the difference because the Nuggets were exceptionally talented, by the way, but they were nowhere near what you saw with the Jazz. I mean, it was former Jazz man Adrian Dantley was coaching that team uh, as he was stepping in for George Carl, and that team walked all over him. I mean, they had a championship leader in Chauncey Billups, but he was even outnumbered with, you know, Carmelo Anthony, J.R. Smith, Birdman, Chris Anderson. They played with a huge uh, lack of attention to detail, I guess you could say, and it showed. It showed throughout the whole series. Jerry had that team locked in and polished when it came to making sure that they stayed tough and gave themselves a great chance to win. Uh, Wesley Matthews was kind of the great story of that year for that Jazz team. Uh, and we all know Mehmet Okur with that injury, like we talked about, they needed dudes to step up. Darren had the big moments uh, that fans certainly uh, look back uh, uh, fondly upon. And Jerry Sloan ran circles, not just around Adrian Dantley, but around the Denver Nuggets. And you could feel the frustration in that Nuggets locker room. You know, especially when the Jazz won like three games in a row. They won games two, three, and four. And you could feel that they, you know, they weren't just winning the series. They were in control of the series, and they probably weren't going to let go. And the frustration in that Nuggets locker room wasn't just because they were losing and just because the Jazz were in control, but the Jazz were using their weaknesses against them, and they could feel it, and it was infuriating for them. So I remember after, I want to say it was game four, I remember seeing Adrian Dantley talking to somebody, and he had like the sport coat off, and he's just standing there with the button-up shirt, and he still had his suit pants on, but like he's, you know, he's, he's a, a little more casual, but he's standing there, and you could see and feel the stress coming from him, the anxiety, the, the frustration, because Dantley was stepping in for George Carl, um, uh, who was ill, and so Dantley standing there, and, and I remember you could just feel the nervousness, the anxiety, and the stress, and I remember the Nuggets won game five. And so they were getting ready for game six. It was a, a shoot around. And as they were getting ready for game six, I, I sat down next to him uh, by the scores table on one of the fold down chairs. And I asked him, uh, you know, did you guys discover something? Like you won game five. So you've made it a 3 2 series. Did you guys discover something in the middle of this? You know, the, and before I could even finish the question, he's like, no, we made shots. We made shots. That's it. We made shots. And he got up and he walked away from me. Like, I didn't even get to finish, uh, you know, getting even his answer. So, even then, like, he, it, you just didn't feel that Adrian Dantley really had the ear of that team. Jerry Sloan had the ear of his team. And it was a night and day difference. Uh, the one guy that was great to get to know, by the way, was Kenyon Martin. Um, there are a few players, and I'm going to talk about this a few more times on the podcast in the future. Uh, a few players that you think are one way when you watch them play on the floor, and then they would stun you with how great they are to deal with off the court. 
So I remember, you know, when, when people would ask me, like, what about this player? What about that player? You know, what's he like? What's this guy like? And they would have this attitude or envision or this vision of what they thought that player was actually like. And when I would tell them, sometimes it would surprise them one way or the other. Kenyon Martin was one of those guys. He was awesome to deal with off the court. But there's no doubt he was uh, fiery and competitive on the court. And you could see that, you know, he played hard and played to win. Um, so Kenyon Martin was one of those guys. I got along with him really well. I had interviewed him several times even before the series. But now with the series happening and me in his locker room constantly, um, he was he was great to deal with. He actually has a, a small form of Tourette's. So he would he would have like gentle facial tics when I was talking to him and stuff, but I never reacted to it. But I could see other media members might have at times, and I could see how that sometimes made him maybe uh, feel a little anxiety. There was always something with that. I remember one time we were underneath the basket uh, by the visitors' bench, and he seemed to be really uncomfortable in an interview setting, and it makes me wonder if that was like part of it. But anyway, he was a total class act. Uh, fierce competitor on the court, total pro off the court. I didn't speak to Anthony during the post games because he was always at the podium, and then we'd have a big group around him during the shoot-arounds. Um, but anyway, one of my favorite moments of the series, game six, I'm at shoot-around, Nuggets, Jazz, uh, Jazz trying to close it out. Uh, the Jazz have put the balloons up into the rafters, um, you know, and it's going to be a big night. You could feel it. And so the Nuggets players and media see it. And they're assuming that this has been put in place to drop the balloons after the Jazz win. So they're going to close out the series and then the balloons are going to come down and all of this celebration. So during the interviews, these guys are being asked like, hey, you see those balloons up in the uh, ceiling? You know, uh, does that fire you guys up? And these guys are going, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're using this as motivation. You know what? If they think this series is over, that's fine. We're not done yet and we're going to show them that this is going to fuel us. And, you know, this is going to bring us together. Maybe this is what we need, right? And then I was an absolute buzzkill. A total buzzkill. I just jumped in and was like, yeah, those are being used for pregame. That's not for the end of game. Those are for pregame. So, no, it's, you know, just just completely ruined every newspaper guy's storyline because you know that they were going to try and write about that. (laughs) <laughs> they were going to try to make that the story like jazz celebrating early balloons ready to drop. They were taking pictures of it, all of that. So I just came in and threw a total wet blanket on their bulletin board material. <laughs> and then the best part was it got really awkward every time I brought it up because you could see it in their face like, yeah, oh, yeah, we saw those balloons. I mean, they're in they're on the floor looking up at the balloons as I'm interviewing them and the rest of the media is interviewing them. And I remember them pointing up like, yeah, yeah, yeah we see these balloons. This thing isn't over yet. I'm going, yeah, that's for the pregame. Don't worry. So anyway, Jazz won the series. They finish it in six. After the series, I do an interview with Kenny and Martin. Here's another great story. Uh, one of the most awkward moments I've ever had in a uh, postgame locker room. I, you know, I tell him it was great working with him. I appreciate his professionalism. I you know, felt like as I'm watching him and many of the other players, uh, I felt like he was most hurt by losing the series. Like, other guys were mad about losing the series or maybe mad after a game was over. Like, I remember after game three or four, I was set to interview J.R. Smith, standing right there, totally ready. There's probably one or two other members in the media, and he just walks right by us like we weren't even there. Like, just that upset uh, about losing. So, um, but as I'm talking to Kenny Martin, like, I can tell he was hurt about losing the series. Like, he was passionate about wanting to win. Uh, His eyes were watered. He was crushed. 
So he shakes my hand. We say goodbye to each other after the interview. And right as I'm ready to walk out, uh, this guy, another reporter, storms into our area. He's got a cameraman and everything. He just walks in. He's like, okay. And he's, you can tell he's got his microphone. He's ready to do an interview, and he's kind of in a hurry. And he, and he goes to set up, and the PR guy for the Nuggets goes, oh, no, he just finished up. He's like, just, just one question. I just have just one question. Just one question. And Kenyon kind of looks up like, yeah, that's fine. Like, like Kenyon had this look about him like, it's fine. Yeah, let him ask a question. So the guy goes, are we rolling? Are we rolling? And the camera goes, yeah, yeah we're rolling. He goes, okay, uh, hey, uh, Kenyon, uh, tough loss to end out the series, but just now with the second round moving on, uh, Jazz, Lakers, who do you think is going to win that series and why? And I thought to myself, what did he just say to him? And the look on Kenya Martin's face, I, I, he's looking at him like, you're absolutely kidding me right now. Like, he has, he has kind of watered eyes, but now all of a sudden there's like fire in his eyes at that moment. He looked up at him with such a glare, and the moment that happened, the PR guy for the Nuggets is like, well, okay, okay. He's like stepping in like, like you would see at a boxing match, right? Like, if the match is over where, you know, you jump in front and you're waving your arms around like, that's it, like, that's it. So I was waiting to see, like, the PR guy jump in front of this reporter and yank his mouthpiece out or something, right? So he jumps in front and he's like, that's it, he's done, we're done, you're done, it's over, everybody out. (laughs) And Kenyon was just furious with him. But that moment was, I mean, I go from, hey, man, great working with you, best of luck to you in the future, hey, yeah, thanks so much. And Kenyon, you know, he's just feeling this sad moment where his season's over and he's got a lot on his mind. And then you got some meatball like, hey, who do you think's going to win the next series now that the Jazz just toasted you? I mean, like, you talk about the worst timing ever for a question like that. So anyway, it was, it was a great experience to be around and being around the NBA playoffs is really great. It really, really is great. Uh, sometimes I'll, sometime I'll tell you about how awesome Game 7 was of that Jazz Clippers series, because when they talk about how Game 7 is different, oh, yeah, it is. Um, but that win, here's one thing people don't uh, remember off top of their head about that win. That victory, we didn't know it at the time, but it was the last postseason game victory that Jerry Sloan ever had. Speaking of Jerry, that's what I wanted to get to here today. Jazz, get ready for the Nuggets. Some coaches are exceptional at knowing how to just attack a weakness and make it hold up during a series or a critical game or a pivotal situation. They just know how to do it. Jerry was as good as anybody I've ever seen at it. I saw that up close with Jerry when his team didn't have home court advantage. They beat the Rockets in seven. They beat the Rockets in eight, and maybe maybe they weren't the underdog. They were kind of maybe staring eye to eye, but they didn't have home court. They beat the Nuggets like we talked about in 10. Uh, his team didn't have the better record. They didn't have the better uh, uh, seed in some of those. They didn't have the better team in two out of those three. They had injuries. They had adversity. They had all this difficulty. Uh, it was incredible to watch, but Jerry was able to go out and outcoach the guy across from him. Jerry knew how to use poor leaders against themselves, like Tracy McGrady and Carmelo Anthony. He had the ear of his leaders at the time that he went up against coaches that didn't have that. We talked about Dantley, um, but I don't think that, you know, Tracy McGrady was necessarily the most open to be coachable. And I've heard my good friend Britton Johnson tell stories about that. That was sad. It was sad to watch. The Jazz rallied from 2 nothing down to beat the Rockets in seven games back in 2007. Karolinka went from crying in an interview because he didn't feel like there was any real way he could contribute to the team 
to hitting a big three that tied game seven, and then they eventually went on to win that series. Jerry's team was down 1-0 against the Nuggets like we talked about. No O'Kerr for the series. Boozer dealing with an oblique. Uh, the Nuggets feeling great after game one, and then the Jazz winning four of the next five. So when you have a coach like that, number one, let me tell you something, Jazz fans, it's much more rare than you realize. I'm a Cubs fan and watched my team get managed by Dusty Baker. I'm a Bears fan and watched my team get coached by John Fox, right? Like, even coaches that have won at times may not really have this ability that I'm talking about. So the Jazz are now set to face the Nuggets. And once again, I see some of these similarities. Not identical stuff. I'm talking similarities in uh, uh, looking at the two teams, looking at what's happening coming into this series, and what Utah has in favor of them. That's my opinion on this. I'm picking the Jazz to win this series against the Nuggets, and their head coach is the reason why. It's why I picked the Jazz to beat the Nuggets in 10, by the way. I picked them to win in six games, and I don't think I'm a genius. I, trust me, I've definitely missed before, uh, and I'll miss again. But I, uh, head coach, the head coach battle was the reason why I was picking it. I watched Quinn Snyder win three road games and beat the Clippers in seven while not having Gobert in games one, two, three, and pretty much game seven. He won game four without Gordon Hayward. He found a way to use the weaknesses of the Clippers against themselves, just like Jerry did in those examples I gave you. He did not have the better roster in 18 against the Thunder. He had three guys on the floor at any given time that couldn't spread the floor and shoot, but he still had a phenomenal offensive series. He was going up against two MVP-type guys in that backcourt, and the other team was expecting big, big things that year. That's why they made the big offseason splash. And meanwhile, Quinn Snyder's dealing with Ricky Rubio, a rookie in Mitchell, who was awesome, no doubt, and Joe Ingles. Not many people gave the Jazz a chance to win the series, especially after they got beat in Game 1, and after it started well for the Thunder. Uh, it started well for the Jazz, I should say, but then the, the Thunder outscored the Jazz 105-75 to to finish that one out. That Thunder team, though, had a weakness of complacency on the defensive end, and Quinn Snyder was able to exploit it. They also had an issue with wasting possessions. Quinn Snyder made sure his team invited them to do so. They nearly beat that team in five games. They were up 25 points in game five uh, before Ru Rudy Gobert went out with, uh, yeah, foul trouble. And then they did get it done without Rubio, by the way, um, on the floor for most of the night in game six. So it was amazing to me how Quinn was able to do it. Quinn has won two postseason series both times. His team, not the better team. But what they did have was the better mindset, the better culture, the better coach, the better leader, the better everything in every single way. Coaching, I know that they say, coaches get too much credit and too much of the blame. Coaching still matters, and it matters a lot. And this is where Quinn Snyder makes his money. Whose call was it to make sure they moved to the sixth seed? I'd put every dime I have that it was on Quinn Snyder. Because maybe there was an opponent in the mix that they could possibly meet up against, that he could absolutely take advantage of their weakness. And maybe the other two teams, it didn't exist quite like it does with this one. There's a reason he wants Denver. 
Now, it's not a guaranteed win. I don't think Quinn wants Denver because he guarantees they're going to win. Nothing's a guarantee, and I wouldn't guarantee the Jazz win. I'm predicting that. But he sees something glaring about the Nuggets that he knows he can utilize. The Jazz lost the head-to-head matchups this year, 0-3, by a total of 11 points. The Jazz certainly have some things they want to get fixed. Got to take better care of the ball. Got to knock down shots. Need better depth. We could go off all day. There's no doubt. But what Quinn Snyder is staring at is the poor defensive habits of the Denver Nuggets. A one-game situation in the regular season is one thing, but being able to sink your teeth into a series is what Quinn wanted when facing this team. The Jazz have done a great job, by the way, at getting great looks so far in the bubble. The the mixed results have been there, you could say. I think the the game against the Lakers, they had 31 wide-open three-point looks. They've been taking their number of threes into the 40s. You know, I think they averaged that. I, I forget what the exact number is, but they, they've increased the volume of that. They hit really well in that uh, matchup against the Denver Nuggets in the, the bubble. Um, and then they got in their own way, I thought, Utah, to let Denver back in. And Denver's a good team, too. I mean, I'm not just you know bashing on the Nuggets here. They're also good. So if you have a stretch of time where you play very poorly, yeah, you could give up a huge lead and, and Denver can get themselves back into the game. But Quinn Snyder has been excellent at using his opponent's weaknesses against them, just like Jerry Sloan was. I thought he did a great job from the coaching aspect in last year's playoffs. He simply didn't have the firepower to beat a team that was a legit contender while his team was a pretender at best, right? So in the, in the postseason losses that Quinn Snyder has had, he didn't have the better team, straight up. And not only did he not have the better team, he didn't have the better team by a mile, That Golden State team in 17, forget it. 2018, that Rockets team almost beat, (laughs) you know, uh, a really good uh, Golden State team. And then last year, if you didn't have the offensive firepower, it was just going to be too tough to beat the Houston Rockets. They were tough. So I look at this every single time, and I think Jazz fans should feel very, very good about their coach that's a brilliant offensive mind. You know, he when when the as I said, the Thunder had their bad defensive habits. They were one of the worst in the league at defending shots six feet uh, from being six feet in distance or more. Right? Oh, Quinn just destroyed them with that. All of a sudden, uh, you know, Joe Ingles is a, a you know a series hero. People were all over Joe Ingles in that whole thing in the matchup with Paul George. Now Paul's a tremendous athlete. This guy was an MVP candidate. But the fact of the matter is. You look at and, and say, oh my goodness, how in the world did this happen? Well, Quinn was really good at using the Thunder against them and using Paul George against him and using their bad habits against them. And somebody like Joe Ingles was hungry to take advantage of it. And that's how a mild upset takes place. Huge upsets take place. There, there's even more um, ingredients that go into it. But for a mild upset, that's all it takes. So in this series, you're going up against a team that was dead last in defense since the restart. Dead last, that being the Nuggets. It's one thing to not be as good as you want to be. It's another thing to be dead last. In Coach Malone's previous couple of years, and with with, with the, the way the Nuggets have operated, they've been a really weird team defensively. So let's go back a bit. Two years ago, they were a bad defensive team, and it kicked them out of the playoffs. In a year, they probably should have made it. Their defensive issues just killed them, right? So they put this huge focus on defense to start the 18-19 season. They went out, 
played hard defensively, changed their habits. They became the second-best defensive team in the league in the first month. Uh, first month and a half, actually, as I look at that. Yeah, mid-October to December 1st, second-best defensive team in the league uh, in that 2018-2019 season. So they look like they turned this thing around. They were 15-7. and seven. They were playing well. They still went on to get the number two seed. Uh, they lost in the second round. But when the regular season was done, they were a different defensive team. In the next month and a half, they, they completely fell off. Uh, over the next two months, they were 20th defensively. They were 10th out of 16 teams in the playoffs defensively. They were about nine points per 100 possessions worse than what they had been uh, when they were locked in and played defense back in the early part of the season. So this is very much like somebody who, you know, they can stick to a diet, they can work out, but man, they really don't stick to it much. They just don't. They fall off. You know, they'll, they'll take a good couple of months. They're working out. They're eating right. They're losing weight. You know, they're taking some of the before and the after pictures and showing how the waistline's coming down and everybody's congratulating them and telling them how awesome they are and, hey, we're behind you. We're rooting for you. And then all of a sudden you get a holiday weekend and you just start eating ranch like it's oxygen. And then you're eating pizza four times a week. You're stopping by over at Popeye's or KFC or wherever and you're just going nuts. And at the end of it, not only have you not been as good as you wanted to be with your diet, you're nowhere near it. Nowhere near it. And that's what's happened to that team. So they wanted to emphasize defense again this year, right? So they start the season. They were number one in the league defensively for the first month and a half. So similar to what they did just the previous year. But then again, they proved they couldn't sustain it. The next month, they were down to 15th. The next month, they were down to 18th. It was about 11 points per 100 possessions more. Okay, so then you get to the NBA restart and they go to 22nd, which is dead last compared to everybody else. Not only is it dead last, they ended up, I think it's like 20 or 21 points per 100 possessions worse than that first month and a half of the season. Okay, that is a massive fall off, a massive fall off. There's certain things where you're like, you know what? Shots might fall here or this might happen there or they're going to be tougher here. If you are going to be dead last and have this big of a fall off in an area that takes, you know, good habits, good mentality, good mindset, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, but I, I, it's not pretty. And it's not going to turn out well. I don't see how the Denver Nuggets defensively are suddenly going to say, that's it, time to lock it in. We're going to be a great defensive team now. I don't, I don't see it happening at all. Uh, since the restart, uh, the Utah Jazz could certainly uh, use some better defensive play at times, right? Like, they, the Jazz, I'm, they are not free from responsibility in this either. They're 15th defensively, and they, the rating that they have given up is 113th, right? You do have the defensive player of the year. You have, earlier in the year, showed you could defend well, but you couldn't sustain it either. The difference, I think, is the fall-off seems to be even bigger, right, with the Nuggets. You also have a mastermind offensive coach in Quinn Snyder. So sometimes a series is going to be decided by the biggest weakness, not always the biggest strength. And my prediction is that this series will be decided by the biggest weakness. And that is the defense of the Denver Nuggets. And Quinn's ability, you know, like I said, if you get a random game in January where you got to prep for it and you try to go as deep as you can on the scouting report and you got a guy, you know, assigned to that game, that's one thing. But now when Quinn gets to play in the same building 
almost. I think they switched buildings a couple different times. But point being, they don't have to travel. There is no going on the road. There is no playing in front of their home court. There is no, All of these different things are now different. Quinn does not have to worry about some of the time gaps that he can now take advantage of when it comes to researching every small detail that you want to know about each uh, the other team. Every tiny detail, he's going to have that down. That staff is going to be all over anything and everything that Denver does. The Jokic uh, go bear matchup, that one to me is not the number one matchup. It'll be featured most. The two big guys. Okay, fine. But I don't I don't see that being I mean, I, I see that being a really good player and a really good player and both of them having a really good series. And people are gonna say the winner of that matchup wins the series. Not necessarily. No, there's there's a lot of other matchups out there. Too. There's a lot of other factors. Donovan, you saw what he did in the clutch moments of that, you know, that regular season game against Denver. And we've seen Donovan have tremendous postseason performances before in, you know, a postseason series win and a postseason game win. You know, what is he like now that the light is on? Uh, with Craig out there guarding him for a lot of the time, what is that matchup going to be like, right? Uh, who's the X factor going to be off the bench for the Utah Jazz? Who can, you know, can... And George Niang hit the open shot when he gets it. It's happened at times, and then he hasn't done it at others. I mean, there's there's so many different things that we can look at that are going to go into the series. Um, in terms of personnel, so I'm going to go coach. Uh, the coaching situation is the, the number one reason why I'm going to pick the Jazz. And I don't think the Jazz are going to dominate the series, and I'll get to my final series prediction here in just a moment. In terms of the personnel, I think I know what we're going to see from Rudy. I think we I know what we're going to see from Jokic. You know, I think I know what we're going to see from Denver defensively not being good. Uh, Utah, not sure what to expect from them defensively. Don't know if the Jazz are going to hit shots, but they've got to take care of the ball. So the Jazz have their weaknesses too. I think the weakness of the Nuggets is the bigger one. I really do. I think the weakness of the Nuggets is the bigger one because it's the one where you have to want to want to be good in that area, and it is too easy to give in to the bad habits, to give in to the bad mindset, and to slip back into those that cost your team dearly. It cost the Oklahoma City Thunder. It cost the L.A. Clippers, although those were different bad habits that they had at different times. Back to the point, Quinn Snyder is the biggest factor for me when picking the winner of the series in a series that I think is going to go to seven. Two things that could drastically alter the way I'm viewing the series. Because I'm picking the Jazz in seven. I think the Jazz will have one game where they just flat get beat, right? Like they play well and get beat. I think they'll have one game, they turn it over way too much and they lose. And another game uh, where they just miss a ton of shots and it was Denver's night. This is a really good matchup. I know I'm picking Utah and I'm giving the reasons that I'm picking Utah and it probably sounds somewhat in this episode like I'm somehow picking them in five, which is not happening. Jazz in seven in what will be a great series. Now, these two factors. One, Michael Porter Jr., if he hits another level, which I think he can, and if he takes his game to another level, which is very possible, that is going to be enormous for the Nuggets in this series. And then if that were to happen, I'd hate to say this, but you've, you've got to go with Denver because then I think the talent in flux and the star playmaking type capability now puts them over the edge and then it would be a Denver in seven type situation. The other thing that could really impact this series is Mike Conley and whether or not he's going to still be with the team uh, during the series. 
Mike Conley, uh, his wife is uh, expecting uh, the birth of uh, their child very soon. And if uh, she goes into labor, he's going to be leaving as he should. Now, if he ends up being absent, that could very much alter the series. He has been great in the restart. And when I say great, I'm not just talking statistically. It just it, it feels like conceptually he's really wrapping his mind around a lot of what's going on with the Jazz, the way the Jazz play. He seems a lot more comfortable with his game and how it merges in with what Utah does. That's going to be a big part for Utah in this series is Conley's performance. If Conley's not there, it definitely hurts the Jazz. Uh, Donovan at point guard, we've seen him do it. We've even seen him win postseason games that way. But I, I think over the course of a whole series depending on when Conley happened to leave, if he did, um, you know, then I think that that could alter the series. So those are two very interesting X factors on how this whole thing could play out. Like, I, I think that this series is going to be, in my opinion, as good as any other out of all the matchups that are there with the NBA playoffs coming up uh, on Monday. So give me Utah in seven. And the reason is, the number one reason, Quinn Snyder just like Jerry Sloan, will be masterful at using Denver against themselves. Thanks again for listening to the Tony Parks Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this. Uh, as always, your feedback is welcome at Tony Parks 801 on all forms of social media. You can email me, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, whether it be Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and more. And uh, as always, you can catch us right here on the Utah Podcast Network.